the show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking for healthcare innovators and digital teams. Here on the Healthcare Wrap, we believe that the healthcare experience has to change and we're trying to do something about it. We can either stand back and let it take another 50 years or we can jump in right now. And I think you know how we roll. We're not going to coast in neutral. We're hitting the gas. Come be a part of it. Each week, we talk about the topics that you need to know about and act on to be part of the digital transformation movement. We share tips on shifting the way that healthcare is experienced digitally and the backstage strategies from marketing, operations, and digital teams to drop the silos and stay ahead of the curve. We recently passed 170 episodes and three years on the air. We're now in season six, where we are focusing on how to operationalize consumer-first healthcare and digging into the details of how to make it happen. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about how consumers have a lot more choices than we might realize. For anyone to pick your healthcare solution or service, you have to make it more appealing than traditional competitors, as well as new entrants to the market who are probably doing it in a more consumer consumer-friendly way than you. So what do you do? I'll talk about that. Then Brian Callis is in the house once again to share some provocative thinking from Accenture Health's brand new digital technology vision report. He'll share five macro trends to master change and recognize that there is no leadership without technology leadership. This episode's jam-packed and Zane and I have a lot to share along the way. It's time to dive right in. You ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. We talk about healthcare choices as if there's something that most consumers think about on a regular basis. We plan for them in boardrooms as if choices are made rationally, like selecting from a restaurant menu. But the fact is, most healthcare-related choices are made in a relatively short amount of time, with high emotions, and without all the information needed to fully understand all of the options. We don't typically make decisions rationally. On top of that, we approach competitive landscapes as if we're only competing against other entities like ourselves. Hospitals act as if they only compete with other hospitals. But retailers smell blood in the water and piles of cash. For crying out loud, Dollar General just announced they hired a chief medical officer and they have a plan to be a major healthcare player in rural markets. When we bring up terms like retail health, some hospital executives still laugh. But who's going to be the one laughing in the end when the combined power of retailers eats at, I don't know, 10, 20, 30% of their revenue? Last I checked, most hospitals don't have 30% margin to give away. Digital health apps can fall into the same trap. Take telehealth, for instance. You might think you're competing with other telehealth services, but you're also most likely competing still with in-person visits, as well as that ever-present choice that we usually forget about, taking no action at all. For anyone to pick your healthcare solution or service, you have to make it more appealing than traditional competitors, new entrants to the market who are probably doing it in a more consumer-friendly way than you are, and against doing nothing. How do you do this? First, 
Open your eyes to the full scope of choices that consumers have. You might need someone outside of your organization to help with this. Don't just list companies that offer products and services similar to you. Put the non-traditional competitors on your list. Put no action at all on your list. This will help you to start understanding a little better. Marketers have a natural advantage here because they've had to live this reality longer than almost anyone. They're the ones who've had to learn how to command attention online with everything from emails to websites to social media, from podcasts to YouTube, and everything in between. Out of everyone, they're the ones who know what you're ultimately competing against for someone's time and loyalty. Second, ask more and listen more. Conduct primary customer research on a regular basis where you're the one asking customers how they made their choices. Learn about the circumstances they were under and what they considered at the time. Finally, for crying out loud, act with some empathy and put yourself in their shoes. Relate your own healthcare choices that you and your loved ones have made in your own lives. What kind of experience can you create to nudge consumers in the right direction? While not everyone yet agrees on the need to put consumers at the center of the design process, and for the record, if I haven't made myself clear, I think this is the single most important thing to do right now, we can all at least agree that consumers have a lot more choices. Let's use that knowledge as a competitive advantage rather than ignoring it. That's one way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. Hey, listeners, got another treat for you. Uh, so excited for this conversation because, quite frankly, there's so much going on in healthcare and health tech and, and the digital health world that we need to be talking about like the high-level trends that are happening. And who better to share that with us than Brian Callis, who's the managing director at Accenture Health. We've had Brian on, a repeat guest. I'd like to think that's kind of like uh, something that, that people shoot for or aim for, you know, or can put on their, like their LinkedIn, you know, something, I don't know repeat guest, but hey, Brian, welcome to the program. Hey, Jared. Thanks for having me back. I'm going to try to make sure I put this on my LinkedIn profile that I'm a repeat guest. So that would sounds be like a plan. Frequent contributor to the healthcare wrap. That's what I want to see. Yeah, we might be able to have like, like come up with a badge or something. I Why don't know. Not? We're, we're, we're going to play this up, you know? Not everyone yes. gets to be a return guest. Yes. Well, well let, let me know and we'll put that badge on there when it's available. Fantastic. Brian, you've had a lot going on. Why don't we just go ahead and dive right in and, and do you want to share with us what the report is, you know, and what it's all about. And then we can just dive into kind of some areas that uh, that you're keeping your eye on in particular. But there were a few trends that you guys were highlighting and you've got a new report out. Yeah, definitely. So Accenture released our 2021 digital health trends. These are really trends that we issue each year that healthcare organizations will need to address over the next three to five years to accelerate and master change in all parts of their organization. And what we really did is tried to take a look at them through a healthcare lens and figure out what are the implications. And to you know, clarify, I think the listeners that we've got here, a lot are from a health system, a lot are from the health tech side, the vendor side. And so I love this intersection because these are things that everyone needs to be aware of. They are areas that, like you said, this isn't just a flavor of the month kind of thing. This is long-term you really want to succeed here? Here are the areas to pay attention to. You want to take us through and, and either we can either go in order or you can start, you know, and just pick one that, that was kind of the most interesting to you and we can go from there. Yeah, I think, and to build off what you stated, this really, the trends really apply to all healthcare organizations. Mm -hmm. So whether you're a startup, which you might, many of these trends might be born native to you and your organization, or if you're an incumbent health organization, whether you're a health system or health payer, these could be how you need to transform and evolve ultimately over the next few years for sustainability. If you look at this year's trends, 
they really reflect the challenges of 2020, where two truths really became evident. The first is more healthcare organizations have come to terms that every business is a digital business. The second trend is the pandemic ultimately accelerated exponential technology transformation to reshape all industries and the human experience. Those two big things are really two truths that we saw. There's two other like more subtle kind of themes that we've also seen. One is the concept that remote work or location agnostic type services is really good, are going to become the norm go forward. The second one is environmental sustainability really is coming to the forefront of organizations and purpose. Okay, so those are kind of big ones. Zane, what do you think? It's funny you mentioned this environmental sustainability. So in the last two or three weeks, anyone I've been connecting with seems to be talking about this. Like all of a sudden it's like hit healthcare. And I've even seen, you know, some of the executives that I work with start to think about adding this to, you know, our overall mission and vision and values of the organization and even starting to work it into some of our culture. So I don't know, it's just really interesting to me to see that healthcare is now starting to recognize you know, the negative impact that we potentially or that we do have on, you know, our climate in our in local or, you know, global, especially since we generate so much waste. I'm really encouraged to see that. And I've also been seeing now organizations start to use that in sort of their recruiting talk tracks to get people to, you know, to come and join the organization by saying they're eco-friendly. It's just been really interesting to me to see that sort of spring up in the last you know, six months. And then certainly in the last three weeks, everyone's been talking about it. We've seen that grow as well. And in particular, you know, healthcare does use, you know, have a big impact on healthcare and the environment in general, or excuse me, on the environment as in terms of producing carbon and waste. But in addition to that, environmental implications also, you know, impact people's health. Absolutely. Both as a, you know, having a negative impact on the environment and how do you actually reduce that carbon footprint as well as its implications to people's overall health and well-being and seeing that connection kind of that broader view beyond just of a social determinant of health yeah and i think too the pandemic has highlighted at least from where i stand working in a very traditional health system you know, we've certainly realized and, you know, leaders that I work with that we probably need to get a much better handle on true community health work because yeah. through this pandemic, we've had to respond not necessarily as a health system, but as a as a community health provider with vaccines and testing and, and get much more integrated into true community and not just, you know, the insurance populations that we serve. And so, I don't know, it's going to be interesting to see where we go. Agreed. We've even seen some health systems start to quantify the environmental benefits of wow. telehealth that were experienced wow. over the past year wow. and start to say, you know, by, by shifting things from in-person to virtual, you know, we were able to have X, Y, Z, you know, benefits to the environment. So it'll be interesting to see as more of that research, you know, comes to market and gets exposed, how that also drives the overall transformation. Can you tell us more, Brian, about the theme that you guys brought up around sort of remote work and what you're seeing? And one thing, know that I'm thinking of a few weeks ago, we had a gentleman by the name of Kelly Gill on here, who's a recruiter, does a lot of recruiting for digital health companies. And he spent a lot of time talking to us about culture, sort of taking a bit of a negative slant on traditional health systems and being very traditional, not always allowing remote work. And, you know, he, you know, was projecting that it's potentially going to be very difficult for more legacy health systems to stay competitive and, and retain talent if they don't you know, not only switch their comp structure and the ways they work, but also being more forthcoming and allowing of remote work and, 
you know, hubs around the country and things like that. And so super curious to hear, you know, what you're seeing out in the market and what are some of the steps that potentially more traditional organizations can take to stay competitive? Yeah, Zane, that actually ties to one of our five key trends really well. And maybe I'll step back and kind of introduce, Please, I yeah. mentioned the, the truths that we saw, the two truths, which actually could be four truths that I mentioned. But that ultimately was the meta theme that then fit behind the five trends. And maybe to step back a bit, you know, we have seen healthcare digitally transforming, mm-hmm. but now we're seeing it happen at speed and scale, which mm-hmm. Zane, I saw you kind of acknowledge when we said every healthcare organization is a digital business and that realization. If you step back and kind of look at, well, what were the five emerging trends that we saw? Those five were stacked strategically, which is about architecture, mm-hmm. mirrored world, which is about digital twins, iTechnologist which is really about empowering people with technology to build their own solution solutions. Fourth, anywhere, everywhere, which ties to the remote work point you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And then the fifth one was from me to we, which really is about ecosystems and collaboration. Mm. So to your point, you mentioned remote work. Really, mm-hmm. that ties to trend four, anywhere, everywhere. And increasingly, you know, we already saw that the pandemic changed longstanding views about how work gets done and where. And that has big implications on recruiting, retention, et cetera, mm-hmm. as you were mentioning. If we kind of go with like, well, what did we see? We saw, we, and if you were to go with the first step, we kind of need to move from a series of patchwork solutions that were deployed out of necessity and move them into permanent strategies in terms of how we actually connect both physical and virtual work. That then leads to kind of, well, what's a second opportunity? A second thing really is rethinking your operating model to include how you divide labor up. You know, how are you thinking of what goes to technology, what goes to machines, what's in-person versus virtual? And then that ties into the point you mentioned, culture. What is that future culture? How do you create connection in a world where people aren't permanently together, but also not permanently separate? Mm -hmm. And those are really big topics that we're seeing Mm -hmm. emerge. Mm -hmm. I hear you on that one. There's, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Olive down in Columbus. And they, I don't know, somehow it's all over my LinkedIn feed. I don't know if I just follow too many people from there, but they've been going on and on and on about this grid model, which to me seems pretty progressive, where they're basically creating these hubs all around the country. And depending on how many Olivians live within a certain area, they'll create a hub there. And they use this term where employees can get jump on the grid and be a part of these hubs and basically work from all around the country, which I think is super brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I think the grid model makes a lot of sense. And it's actually very consistent with how a lot of consulting companies have worked as well. <laughs> yeah. So it's in, it's interesting because for ourselves, we have people all around the world, yet we have hubs in different cities and you don't have, people never had a permanent office or location. You had mm. collaboration spaces and you could check into a hub or the grid, as you mentioned, work there as needed and then separate. And then each of those spaces also become flexible. Like if I'm, so I'm, having this discussion from Minneapolis. So I could go into Minneapolis and collaborate, but maybe next week I'll be in New York. Well, I already know that in New York, there is a space because there's a hub there where we can get people together to collaborate as needed. You know, from my perspective, what I'm seeing is, well, progressive companies. And I realize consulting is sort of, has always been ahead of the game, but I think some companies are starting to realize that their corporate office needs to not just be a pen for FTEs to sit in. 
and we need to reframe it and think about this as a tool to enable, you know, visioning, collaboration, and execution. Really, those big three things. And when you start yeah. to think that way, now you can reimagine what the space looks like, right? Yeah, and I think that really starts to put a lot of new thought about what should that new space look like? How should it operate to function for that co-creation and collaboration mindset that will increase, even if it isn't as ex- even if you're still geographically concentrated within an area, you still can need that flexibility. The other thing, consideration, and this ties to the trend for anywhere, everywhere, is, well, when you are at home, this has introduced this new thing of bring your own environment. Mm. Your home ultimately is kind of an extension of the traditional technology environment. Mm -hmm. And that is both a good thing, also a bad thing that introduces potential cybersecurity threats into the organization, issues with bandwidth, who provides that, you know, bandwidth and latency. We kind of looked at this as similar to how you had bring your own device, you mm-hmm. know, as a key thing in enterprises over the past decade. You're now seeing this whole bring your own environment and how do you actually think through your home or other places, how to actually connect that with the grid, so to speak. Mm-hmm. That's a challenging one because I think not everyone has an office in their home or a dedicated space. And then me being a bit too much of a PR and marketer, you know, especially if I'm a consultancy or something, I'm thinking about, I want to make sure what's ever behind my employees is presentable, which isn't all the time. And so it, it would force me if I was the business owner to think about a whole new set of guidelines and potentially tools and coaching that I would want to put in front of my employees so that they can look their best, talk their best, perform their best through video or other digital modalities, which, which didn't always come easy to people in the beginning of this pandemic, I noticed. Correct. That's definitely something <laughs> we have to to work through. Another point you mentioned just tied the remote work piece mm-hmm. actually ties to trend three, which is I technologist. And that was, you were talking about the skills, kind of skills and how do people work in this environment. A big part of I technologist is really getting down to this concept of how technology democratization is becoming easier for business users or general users to actually create powerful technology tools where, you know, Jared, Zane, you know, all of us can use low-code, no-code code platforms to build apps and so forth. How do we actually, you know, push stuff from traditional IT shops and move it to people? A big part, if you're doing that, is also how do you actually skill people up? Mm-hmm. So how do you get people not to become software engineers or data scientists, but to be tech literate in terms mm-hmm. of the business implications of technology? which is a key thing as you think of that future workforce. How are you skilling people up to know the power that they can have with some of these democratized technologies? Mm -hmm. That's a huge problem, Brian. I feel like, especially through COVID when you know, digital tools became the key to access testing centers or accessing, you know, vaccine clinics, you name it, or reporting out, you know, your conditions. I noticed really quickly that, you know, some of the, the senior leaders that I work with and others, could no longer fake their lack of technology literacy and couldn't didn't really understand you know the options that we were proposing and so in, and to your point in the future I think there needs to be a lot of work in, in healthcare especially to get everyone especially in administration and really even like clinicians people who are you know brought up through medical school and nursing school to at least have a baseline understanding of you know what is this what is an application what is a network what is this what is that what is the implication of this um, so so at least they can make informed decisions, you know, when it comes time to do so. Yeah, and Zane, that point is key. This is one of the another kind of theme of the report is really this idea that 
there really will be no leadership without technology leadership. So there's this question of both for the organization as well as for your people. One way that we've started to solve that at Accenture for our people is actually just through a pretty aggressive training campaign and training effort, which we call TQ training or technology quotient. So we're trying to roll out to, to all our people to basically increase their TQ. Like how do you make sure that you have this base fluency So it includes topics like cloud, agile, blockchain, artificial intelligence, and some of these just general things to help you have like this base knowledge of technology and its implications for business. I think I think I want into that program. (laughs) Yeah. Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights, and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff. And we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health Hey, this is Scott Burgess from Healthcare 360, the fair and balanced healthcare podcast, exploring everything you wish you knew about healthcare, but don't. Join us weekly in an open, transparent conversation with some of the biggest names in the healthcare business surrounding this one question and one question only. Had you known there were other options to exhaust and explore before you travel down the traditional healthcare route, how would you weigh those options against what you think healthcare and medicine really is? For more information about Healthcare 360 and how together we can help transform lives, visit scotteburgess.com, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us anywhere you enjoy listening. See you there. That kind of speaks to this whole need for a new tool set. That tool set does include the leadership component of it and having leadership with technology. There's a natural human component of of those who are nervous about that because, you know, they who have been in a if they're in an incumbent leadership position, you might naturally just think, wait, why do I need to do more than what I'm already doing? There's just a natural fear of the unknown or, you know, just fear of what comes next. And am I able to skill up, you know, when I'm at a certain leadership level? And so like, there's that human component of it, but the need for it, I think this, if there's like one topic that we can keep in front of leaders, it seems like this is definitely one of those, you know, something that, that isn't just going to be solved or, you know, you bring somebody on and they, they solve this, they check this box, and now you move on. Like this is gonna be part of the cultural discussion of what advances technology over the next decade or maybe even a couple of decades. And so it's it's great to you know see this you know as one of the the key trends that that you're pointing out and recognizing because yeah, this this is gonna be a big one. I think to that point, there's also this point where it really is promise of technology plus human ingenuity. So this isn't just technology, this ultimately is for people. And ultimately, how do we actually unlock the human experience through technology and think of both those implications? I love that. And a big, 
part isn't replacing people. It's really that augmentation and the complement. You know, Brian, earlier you mentioned, you know, no business decision will be made without technology or something along that lines. I'm familiar with one health system that I have friends at who are contemplating, they, they currently have a chief digital officer and they're contemplating getting rid of that title. They'll still have the function. And the reason why is they're starting to realize that everything's digital. And so to sort of compartmentalize it can make it difficult culturally to get things done. And so it's almost as if, you know, the digital work might just become like the strategy officer's role and there wouldn't necessarily be a separate function in digital because it's really everything, right? As to your point. And so yeah. it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that keeps going. Well, that's where underlying all of this and that concept of being becoming a tech digital business, so to speak, typically requires operating model change. Yes. And to your point, digital is what you're describing of chief digital officers kind of going away is what we started to see in other industries like financial services and so forth that are a couple steps ahead of healthcare. Yeah. And a big part of that is, yeah, is because digital isn't a function. Like you said, digital yeah. is everything. Yes. And because of that, it's a silo buster. Yes. It breaks oh my down. God, yes. And that create structural challenges. When you were built kind of in functional silos, you need to really rethink how you deliver services to go cross silo. Yep. And then, you know, the the politics comes into play because now you have to change your org chart because the promise of digital is that it connects everything, but not one person owns the whole thing. And so you got to learn to collaborate, maybe switch up the org chart a bit, which gets um, plays on people's egos. And all of a sudden we have cultural issues. And so to me, well, I mean, I realize I'm preaching the choir. It's never been a technology problem. It's always been people and managing people and their expectations and, and, and bringing some good change management and organizational effectiveness consultants. Yeah, no, agree. I mean, part of this is, you know, if every business is a, or healthcare organization is a digital organization, a big part of that does require structural change. And really, we've often get asked, you know, oh, we need a digital strategy. But I think to your point, we've seen a digital strategy really as a Trojan horse for an enterprise strategy. A big part of this kind of comes down to, well, what is your why? What are you trying to do as an organization and how you're either looking to grow or sustain your mission? Then it comes down to for whom, where you're looking at audiences and journeys. Then you start to overlay people process changes, how you can go cross silo, for example. And then that then leads to underlying technology changes and the shift more towards platforms versus apps, so to speak. But what do you think, Brian? This might be a little bit of a divergence from the topic our conversation on this report, but you know, with all the digital disruptors coming into healthcare, are there specific ones that you think will do really well? Or do you think that incumbents like traditional health systems are going to survive in the future? What do you think about all that coming into, into play? Like we see Amazon continuing to grow. We see groups like Walmart continuing to grow, Transparent going after the direct-to-employer space. Peloton, in some ways, is starting to get into healthcare. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think part of this so ties actually to two of the trends. So mm-hmm. one is trend one, which is stack strategically, which mm-hmm. is heavily about architecture. And then trend five, which is from me to we, which really is about collaboration ecosystems. Mm-hmm. So my simple answer is there's room for everyone and we really need collaborations to work together. I like and that. each organization has unique resources that if we can find ways to bring those unique, distinct competencies together, mm-hmm. we can really drive positive change. Now, if you're an incumbent health plan or health system, this is where trend one comes into play. But I would also argue 
you know, if you're a digital native, it's an important kind of the, how you would build your business and stacking strategically is really realizing of moving from technical debt to technical wealth. And really that is a fundamental change. We were talking about operating model that really goes, how do you actually flip it versus technology being a weakness versus something that's a strength. And a big part of that is changing both how you deliver services. And if you go to the technology layer that creating technical wealth starts, if you're an incumbent organization, ultimately with investing in core digital technologies. So social, mobile, analytic, and cloud. So your mm -hmm. wave one digital technologies that took hold over 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And really that allows you to get modular and flexible and agile. That then allows you to then start to compete through technology once you have that foundation in place and you can start innovating with different technologies or what we say is the next wave of digital tech, which we call dark. So that's distributed ledger, artificial intelligence, extended reality, and quantum. And that allows you to create new business models. Then that gets you into just the next generation of tech and business. Now, on that part, if you're an incumbent health organization, that lets you plug and play with all the different digital entrants, whether it's non-traditional entrants like big tech platforms or retailers, or if it's startups, you can plug and play with those in different ways. But to do so, you need to change your the foundation and architecture of your business to the operating model piece. It goes from technology being on the edge to the center. Now, that's kind of what you would do as an incumbent. If you're a startup, you're likely building off that foundation from the ground up already. So you're kind of positioned to plug and play. and You're just waiting for someone else to connect into. Right. On trend five, that goes into just the need for collaboration. And that's these are really big, complicated problems. And it really needs the competencies of both incumbents plus startups together. I and mean, that's where ecosystems and consortia come together. And Zane, you were referencing this. We saw a lot of this start to happen out of necessity during COVID. Yeah. Organizations coming together to rapidly identify vaccines, rapidly distribute vaccines, identify who has been vaccinated and not. You know, we'll just see that continue to evolve. Absolutely. I think too, first of all, I'll disclose I'm a Canadian. And so I live in Canada and am familiar with that health needs to work there. And so there's a whole different way that we think about healthcare. It's way different than here in the US. But I think what I'm seeing, you know, it's been catalyzed by COVID, but eventually here in the United States, I think hospital systems, especially at some level, somehow there's some piece of legislation will actually be held accountable for the health of the people within their geography. And the only way to fulfill on that is to collaborate with, you know, FQHCs, community health centers. And we saw some of that come together through COVID to your point. And frankly, I'll be honest, like I was involved in some of them is brutal on the technology side, sure, but also just on the cultural side where, you know, these big institutions often don't know how to partner with a tiny team in a community setting or a lower resource team in a community setting. And so I think, you know, there's a whole lot of work that needs to be done in upskilling in that a sector too around how to be nice, how to collaborate, how to work together outside of your organization, which which isn't a skill that everyone has in addition to the technology issues. Yeah, you're highlighting another great point. We kind of found that digital achievement lags by healthcare organizations and non-healthcare organizations really came to the fore. They started to be exposed yep. as part of, as we were trying to give, put solutions together out of necessity. That also started to, now as a result, well, what's happening? That took decade-long digital transformations and it's shifting it to, oh, wow, we can't wait a decade. We have to try to address these in the next couple years yeah. and faster. Yeah. 
Yeah, or and then in COVID's case, tomorrow by tomorrow. Exactly. And that we're saying now as we're kind of reimagining this post-pandemic reality, this is where that concept of leadership with no leadership without technology leadership is coming into play. But there's also gaps. And Zane, you were kind of alluding to these. One thing, the considerations we need to be aware of. We mentioned environment as one, you know, as a key thing. The other one is just overall equity and inclusion. Yeah. And one thing we're increasingly exploring further and figuring out how to solve for is if you were to say tech access and tech equity as an as a social determinant, mm-hmm. how do we ensure access to technology as a critical need, not just for health, but also education, all that kind of came to the fore. So needing to figure out yeah, how to make completely those agree. I was actually in a meeting yesterday where we talked about broadband as a social determinant of health, and it might end up on our community health strategic plan. So you're right in on the money on that one. Yeah, Brian, I, I think when we talk about all of all of these pieces, I'm thinking about the how the tool set to lead ourselves into this next phase, this next stage, like you said, the next couple of years, it has compacted. But the tool set that it's going to be needed among leaders is changing and evolving. So the types of things that helped us get through this last 10 to 12, even you know maybe 15 years back, which was managing individual platforms, which has led to some silos, yep. uh, to say the least. You know, dropping the silos, you know, as part of the the intro wrap on this podcast, we've seen it, we've lived it. But now we're talking about like managing results and managing these collaborations versus just managing a one platform at a time. I'm curious how you would say the tool set to lead in this environment is evolving. Yeah, there's also how do we want to frame tool set. Um, do are we referring to you know tool set can be technology, but it also can be human skills that we've mentioned, like skills of the workforce, skills of leadership. If I were to go with, if I kind of step back a bit, we've kind of learned that if I go with digital and technology and these trends, really this provides. Why is this different? It really allows us to provide new ways to create value, so that causes business models to change, as well as new ways to deliver value, which is both how we're structured and how we're using technology. And in general, that pace of change is just going to continue to accelerate as we have more tools, so to speak. But we need to also do so, follow that change by also keeping humans in the loop and keeping humans along, as you're describing. How do we make sure people are skilled up, trained, and understand how to bring these different solutions to bear is increasingly what we're seeing happen. That requires both business model changes, operating model changes, ultimately powered by technology. Well, here's what I love about all that is that you didn't say, hey, the answer is one single tool and it's this technology. It's the silver bullet. It's getting better at AI, you know, or whatever it is. There's not. There's no There's silver not bullet. One, one, yeah. one thing. It's just an entirely new set of human skills, soft skills, leadership skills and approaches and, and even just the way we address technology within our organizations, as Zane, to your point about the the organization that you were aware of that was considering not having a chief digital officer anymore because digital is everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 a connective tissue. So I think those are the the kinds of questions and and conversations I expect to hear more of and and see more of. Brian, I want to give you one last chance. Anything we haven't touched on uh, from the report or just any, anywhere else that came to mind as we were uh, as you were walking us through? Yeah, I would just add. I mean, these are five we've discussed five key trends that really discuss how healthcare organizations can move, you know, to bring to that technology leadership, as we mentioned. I mean, the importance here is really how do we deliver on this promise 
of -hmm. technology and human ingenuity and that technology plus people component, like you were mentioning, Jared. And the good news is we're seeing a lot of that change happening in the system and really thinking about human needs first that can be powered by technology. We're at a unique point where if you actually start to think through what are the problems we're trying to solve, we typically have the technology to do it Mm -hmm. and we typically have ways to do it. So really thinking through what are we trying to accomplish as a first step and what are those human needs we're trying to solve for becomes the way to then work backward towards how do we actually do this using the powerful tools we have. In my mind, I'm seeing the need for a journey map to lay all that out. Yeah, you got it. And that is a key thing, though. I mean, a key competency is moving into human-centered design or service design. Sure, sure. And really to understand, you know, what are the human needs? How do we actually solve for those end-to-end and go cross-silo? Love it. Brian, how can our listeners find this report? I'm assuming it's available online. Yep. You can find the report on Accenture.com by searching for Accenture's 2021 Digital Health Tech Trends. Perfect. And I know you're active on LinkedIn, so I'm sure some of our messages or some of our listeners can ping you on LinkedIn if they want to chat more. Yep. I'm active on LinkedIn and Twitter. So look forward to uh, connecting with you and feel free to reach out through those channels. Fantastic. Thanks for giving us so much to think about, Brian. We look forward to always just the the industry leadership that comes out of the research you're involved in. And uh, thanks for giving us a few minutes today. We need to book you for next year too. <laughs> yeah. 2022. Well, thank yeah. Thank you, Zane. Thank you, Jared. And really look forward to just collaborating with you all to uh, improve healthcare for people. So take care. Ed Marks here with Digital Voices, the only podcast for chief digital officers across all of healthcare and life sciences. Digital Voices is about the voice of the patient, the provider, the payer, pharma, big tech, retail, public health, really any part of the healthcare and life sciences ecosystem, that's the digital voice we wanna capture as we learn and break barriers across the entire spectrum. Join us weekly as we drop our pod. Thanks to Brian and Zane, and thank you for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. If you did, please, this is so important. Can you please subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast? Healthcare Wrap is a member of the Shift.Health Content Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other shows we have on the Shift.Health Content Network. And don't forget to subscribe to the Shift.Health YouTube channel featuring Season 2 of Now What? Go check it out at Shift.Health. It's all free and available on demand. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks, and that's a wrap.